everyone, and welcome to eMigCast. I'm Megan Sapensky. And I'm Aaron Willey. We're two third-year medical students from Oregon Health and Sciences University. And today we're going to be speaking with Dr. Megan Minkley about pediatric ultrasound. Dr. Minkley is an emergency medicine physician here at OHSU and the director of the Pediatric Emergency Ultrasound Program. Thanks for being with us today. Happy to be here. Always happy to promote point-of-care ultrasound. Let's start by talking about some of the more practical aspects of pediatric ultrasounds. What types of ultrasounds have you found to be especially useful, and which ones do you use on a day-to-day basis? That's a great question. I think that it really depends on your setting in terms of how you use point-of-care ultrasound to be you know, effective and efficient for you. In the pediatric emergency department, for me, I enjoy lung ultrasound. It's my favorite utility of point-of-care ultrasound um, in pediatrics. I think the reason for that is we see a huge number of respiratory cases every year in every ER around the country, uh, adult ER, community ER, peds ER. Um, And for me, I can improve my patient's length of stay. And by that, I mean decrease their length of stay, improve, I think, their um, time to diagnosis and discharge them very quickly. I can also show the parents the actual ultrasound as we do it. The kids tolerate it for the most part very well. Uh, it's not invasive. There's no ionizing radiation and I can get them out the door. So how do you use and interpret your point of care ultrasound findings? Ultrasound depends on the user. Um, you'll hear a lot of people say ultrasound is very user specific. Skill sets are very different. I think you have to know your own abilities in ultrasound and in your own limitations, as well as the machine's abilities and the machine's limitations. And then what you do with the machine and what you do with your interpretation all depends on the clinical picture. I like to tell my students and my trainees that the ultrasound is really just an extension of your clinical acumen. Um, clinical, the clinical picture is still by far the most important. Um, and then what you consider a diagnosis may not be considered by someone else who's using the same ultrasound machine, a diagnosis, depending on whether or not they feel comfortable using something for negative predictive value or positive predictive value. Most people starting out with ultrasound feel most comfortable with positive predictive value, meaning if they think they see pathology, they feel comfortable saying that is pathology, as opposed to if they do not see anything saying, hey, I think I can screen this person out and they look fantastic and I don't think there's anything wrong. So it sounds to me like you use these findings as both a diagnostic and or a screening modality, depending upon the clinical scenario. So that is true, and in part because of my level of comfort with the ultrasound. Um, But that is not true for every application. Like every sonographer, I use point-of-care ultrasound for certain applications far more than others. So there are certain applications where I don't necessarily trust my own abilities or um, don't feel comfortable with saying, I feel great about saying for sure this is negative. That being said, I address this like anything else we use in medicine, meaning use of a stethoscope. I will tell parents I don't hear a murmur. That doesn't always mean I'm 100% accurate and that there might not be a small murmur. I say the same thing with my ultrasound, that I feel, you know, X X percent confident with what I see or don't see, um, but that there's still potential for pathology that I may not be identifying. With that in mind, have your diagnoses ever been misled by your personal ultrasound interpretations? And if so, what lessons have you learned? Great question. So the answer is, Not that I'm aware of, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. (laughs) You have to remember, I discharge my patients after I evaluate them. Um, When I first started out, 
training in point of care ultrasound and became good at applications. The way I did that was by using something as my own gold standard. And I think that's really important for new users of ultrasound. So when I started doing lung ultrasound at my institution, there weren't a lot of other emergency medicine physicians performing point-of-care lung ultrasound on pediatric patients. So every time I did a lung ultrasound, I ordered a chest x-ray for my patients. And these were patients who would have received chest x-rays anyway, so I didn't change their management. And I essentially compared my results to the results of the x-ray to make sure that A, I got a really good sense of normal versus abnormal, and to make sure that when I saw pathology, I recognized it, to make sure when I didn't see pathology, I felt comfortable with saying something was normal. And I just got better and better. And I think I'm at a point where I feel pretty confident sending my patients either to imaging if I don't see what I want or home if I do see what I want um, and feeling pretty good about that. I have not had a lot of bounce backs with my point of care ultrasound that I know about, but certainly they could exist and people are too kind to tell me. (laughs) In your practice, do you think some traditional imaging, those thought of as the gold standard, can be replaced by point of care ultrasound? I think that I'm biased Um, But my hope is that point-of-care ultrasound will be utilized more and more in the future and that especially in pediatrics, and I know this question will probably come up in the future, but, you know, there's increasing evidence to support um, the side effects of ionizing radiation in the developing pediatric body, um, increased cancer rates, et cetera, um, mostly leukemia and brain cancer. um, And you can find out more about that on the National I believe it's the National Cancer Institute website if you want to read more about pediatric exposure to radiation. But with that information, we are now, I think, there's a push to utilize other imaging modalities more now and ultrasound being one of them. So now we have a sort of new invested interest in utilizing ultrasound. We have a lot of pediatric trained and emergency trained folks who are interested in ultrasound now, bedside ultrasound. And with that, I think we are now looking to see and acquire data, which we still desperately need in pediatric ultrasound, um, at least in bedside ultrasound, to acquire that data to sort of prove that we can start using this in place of other tests such as x-ray and CT that do have ionizing radiation. Given increasing concern for childhood radiation exposure, what new ultrasound techniques are you excited to add to your practice? Oh, that's a great question. Um, new, I would put in quotations because it just depends, again, on the user. Um, for me, I think one of the things that I've been doing recently that really is not new in adult emergency medicine ultrasound um, but is relatively newer in the literature in pediatric bedside ultrasound but is doing my own ultrasound-guided Arthur's and TC's. So um, I think it's a really great application in part because, you know, there are a variety of pathologies associated with the hip, for instance, in pediatrics. Some of them are benign and some of them um, have the potential for significant, you know, morbidity and even mortality, such as a septic arthritis. In many institutions, there are multiple subspecialty teams involved in obtaining fluid from that hip to evaluate for septic arthritis. And sometimes that, you know, ends up in wait times in the ER of, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours waiting for the right teams to come in and coordinate their schedules. Um, What's beautiful about the ultrasound, if you're ultrasound trained, is that you can mark out the vessels in the hip, make sure that you minimize any chance of... um, 
complications. And it's a relatively easy procedure, believe it or not, if you are skilled with the ultrasound and you can actually watch your needle the entire time, make sure you're in the right place, make sure you're tapping the right location and not a vessel um, and remove the fluid. And it's so much more efficient and equally effective, I think, in my mind. And you can, you know, lead to a diagnosis, you know, eight hours sooner than you would otherwise. Um, And I think that minimizes, you know, morbidity associated with a, a truly significant septic arthritis, which I think is pretty exciting. When you're tackling a new procedure like that, how do you approach learning the technique? So one of the beautiful aspects of ultrasound is that it forces you to relearn anatomy after you've forgotten it years later. I speak from experience. And any time that I'm going to do a procedure using point-of-care ultrasound, I review the anatomy first. So you always have to do your homework. You review the anatomy. You make sure you know your landmarks. You make sure you know potential complications. Um, we were just referring to a hip arthrocentesis. And in the case of the hip, you want to know where your femoral artery and vein are, obviously, the nerve. Mark out your landmarks. I always do that first, sometimes with a surgical pen, especially if I'm training a trainee. Um, and then essentially, you know, at some point, once you feel comfortable with your ultrasound skills, which has to do both with hand-eye coordination, but also recognizing normal anatomy versus pathology, um, you know, you really just have to put the two together. And at some point you give it a go. There is no such thing as practice. Um, in some of these procedures, you know, we do have sort of quote unquote practice. We have, you know, simulation centers where you can practice certain things, but you can't simulate everything. And, um, you really have to have confidence going in that you've taken every effort to minimize complications. Um, and believe it or not, a lot of these procedures with ultrasound, once you feel comfortable with the probe, um, are very similar. So if you feel comfortable with a sort of linear approach and, um, for, for instance, placing an ultrasound guided IV, you can use a transverse or a linear um, approach with your probe. But if you are using an inline approach with your probe in a linear fashion, it's the same technique I use for almost every procedure in ultrasound. You mentioned earlier that your favorite type of ultrasound is lung ultrasound. Do you have a least favorite? <laughs> uh, I do. I would say the most frustrating ultrasound sometimes, although sometimes also the most gratifying, is pretty much any abdominal ultrasound in pediatrics. There are a lot of different applications that are awesome. So pyloric stenosis, intussusception, appendicitis. When those are positive, man, you feel really great. Um, and when they're negative, you feel fantastic. Um, if you can find a normal appendix, people are thrilled. Um, however, bowel gas gets in the way of a lot of your abdominal ultrasounds and can be very frustrating as an artifact and block your view. And the way we usually handle bowel gas when you can't see a really great image is by using something called graded compression, where you press down on the gas and try to sequentially move it out of your view so that you can obtain better views of what you're really looking for. Um, but you can imagine in a tender pediatric patient that gradually compressing their abdomen if they're in pain um, is not welcomed. And so sometimes it makes the abdominal ultrasound a little tricky. Many of us going to emergency medicine are going to receive ultrasound training by working with adult patients. In your mind, what are the major differences between adult and pediatric ultrasound? So using point-of-care ultrasound is all about the question you're asking. And obviously, in the adult ER and the pediatric ER, we ask different questions. We have different pathology, and therefore, the applications of ultrasound we use are different. I think there's definitely overlap. All of those skills that you guys learn when you do ultrasound elective, so cardiac, renal, soft tissue, et cetera, those 
are all applicable in both adult and pediatric. You don't not use those skills. However, some of the pathology we see less of in pediatrics, for instance, gallbladder pathology. We just don't do a lot of right upper quadrant ultrasounds in the pediatric population. Um, whereas we see, like I mentioned earlier, a huge amount of respiratory pathology. So personally, I think the pediatric lung ultrasound um, is, you know, highly useful. I also think that there are particular applications that you don't use at all in the adult side, um, those bowel applications that I've chatted about, so pyloric stenosis and intussusception, appendicitis, um, certainly could apply to both fields, but I think the beauty of point-of-care ultrasound in pediatric patients is that for the most part, it's not true for every patient, but you have less soft tissue um, to get through in order to see your uh, organ of interest. And so, for instance, we in pediatrics use the linear probe, which you guys may know is really great for resolution, but not very good for depth penetration, as opposed to the curvilinear probe, which is, or the phased array probe. Those are both uh, used for more depth, but less resolution. We use the linear probe a huge amount in pediatrics. I use it for all of my bowel applications. I use it for lung as opposed to what most people use for lung on adults. Um, for instance, to look for B-lines in lung ultrasound in adults, they use the curvilinear probe. I use the linear probe for pediatrics. You can cover their entire chest in a very short span of time. Um, and I, I would bet that we use a linear probe at least 50% more minimum than adults use in their applications just based upon body habitus. You mentioned some specific technique differences. What skills would a community doctor need to acquire to be good at pediatric ultrasound? I think the biggest challenge in the pediatric population versus the adult population is probably mobility. (laughs) And by that, I mean children are highly mobile. Um, You have to remember a lot of the data that's acquired in adults, um, especially, for instance, in lung ultrasound, is done from ICUs where the patients are immobile, et cetera. In pediatrics, our patients are usually moving targets. Um, They also uh, tend to be a little labile emotionally. And so sometimes, um, you know, it's a little bit of a fight. And I think that just takes comfort with children and just time and effort and a lot of patience in ultrasound that you don't usually have to do an adult ultrasound where the patients are really compliant when you ask them questions. Um, That's probably the biggest thing that I can think of. Everything else, the hand-eye coordination, the recognizing anatomy, the recognizing pathology, those things are all very similar. It's just sometimes different applications, sometimes different probes and techniques like we talked about, and then just handling your patient in a different manner. You have to handle both pediatric patients and pediatric parents, both of um, which takes a little finesse. How should we as medical students approach learning pediatric ultrasound? So I have a very simple approach to ultrasound in terms of my belief and how people should train. And that is one, pick up the probe. That is two, use the probe. Um, And then three, educate yourself. I recently used a cartoon in one of my ultrasound lectures for um, the Oregon College of Emergency Physicians that had a cartoon where one person was wearing a shirt that said, no fear, N-O, fear, and then used a homonym. The other person was wearing a shirt that says, no fear, K-N-O-W, no. And I think that's a big difference in ultrasound. You have to know exactly what you're worried about, not just in the patient, but also your limitations, the machine's limitations. But you also have to 
approach patients and use the probe and not let fear hold you back because the more repetition you have, the better you get. And that's in terms of seeing images, in terms of interpreting images, in terms of your hand-eye coordination, in terms of getting the views that you want. Um, and so really this is just about knowing what you're looking for, knowing what questions to ask, using the machine, familiarizing yourself with the machine, and then just practice and practice and practice. And you'd be amazed how good you get. Um, there's a huge difference that I see between trainees who come in and only get 10 or 15 scans in a week and the trainees who come through and get 100 scans in a week. And those trainees walk out and I can promise you that they have better educated themselves and have a better skill set walking out of that rotation. It sounds like experience is very important. Do you feel like ultrasound fellowships are a good way to gain this experience? So I would say 100% yes, um, with the caveat being that I think ultrasound fellowships are probably morphing over time. I, from in a pediatric emergency medicine standpoint, it's a relatively new field still. You know, point-of-care ultrasound is, there's maybe a handful of fellowships across the country, five to ten, I would guess at this point, um, and only you know, probably less than a hundred folks in the states who are trained in both pediatric emergency and ultrasound at this point. It's a much different case from adult emergency medicine standpoint. They're 15 or 20 years ahead of us. And I think a lot of their ultrasound fellowships, um, you know, are not necessarily becoming moot points, but now emergency medicine residents get ultrasound incorporated into their training on such a regular basis that the ultrasound fellowships are becoming more than just clinical applications. They're becoming complex clinical applications and academic ultrasound fellowships where there's research involved and data collection, et cetera. And I think um, that's huge for us because you can't further a field without data and research, um, you know, in the medical world. And so um, I think we still are really learning the clinical aspects in the pediatric emergency ultrasound world. And now we are starting to focus on research nationwide. There's a groups coming together to sort of work on multi-center studies and data acquisition. And I think those are going to help fuel this field to sort of catch up with the adult emergency medicine fellowships um, and, and push it forward. So how did you learn pediatric ultrasound? What was your path? That's a good question. Um, lots of good questions. I completed a pediatric residency first. I knew I had an interest in emergency medicine and acuity fields. I spent a handful of years doing pediatric oncology and bone marrow transplant hospitalist work, during which I decided I would do emergency versus critical care. And then during my emergency medicine fellowship, my co-fellow was a uh, brilliant woman who had done an, an adult residency followed by an ultrasound fellowship followed by her pediatric fellowship. Um, and I was viciously jealous of her skills in sonography and felt that I could use it in my global health work, but also could use it in the ER, in the pediatric ER, more than it had been utilized prior. And so I decided that I would apply for the extra year of ultrasound fellowship after my pediatric emergency fellowship in order to sort of acquire that skill set, which I felt would serve me well um, clinically in the States, abroad, um, but also in terms of an opportunity for me to further the field of pediatric emergency medicine. I've had the opportunity to hear you speak about your trips to Haiti, and I was curious what it's like using ultrasound in this type of setting. Yeah, I go to Haiti with Partners in Health every year, and I would say that from the beginning, I have used point-of-care ultrasound. At first, just because it was the, sometimes it 
it is often, I should say, the only imaging modality we have there. We do have x-rays. We occasionally have CAT scans. However, sometimes there's large delays. Um, there are mechanical problems, etc. And point-of-care ultrasound is something you can rely on there. So it's been nice for me because I've been able to see my skills develop every year. Um, and it makes me better. Um, it is an amazing modality there for reasons that I'm sure are obvious to you guys. Number one, it is portable. Number two, it is fast. Number three, it has amazing diagnostic potential um, and sometimes really changes the outcome. And number four, you know, what's really truly special about ultrasound in that world as a, as a learner and as a teacher is the difference it makes in clinical care. Um, so it's not here where sometimes you do educational ultrasounds and then you send someone for a CAT scan. Um, you know, in Haiti, when I go, often it is deciding our, you know, Factoring into our clinical judgment, but deciding our clinical outcome, whether someone goes to the operating room or not, um, whether someone, you know, is discharged or not, whether we're looking at a cardiac versus a lung problem in a child, et cetera. So there's just this diagnostic capacity that we have here in the States, but often rely on other resources. Um, you know, in Haiti, it is often, um, you know, just... Your clinical acumen, which again, I will say it again, that for me, ultrasound just augments my clinical acumen. I rely on my physical exam. I rely on the history. I rely on, um, you know, what I see in front of me. And I use the ultrasound to help try to answer the questions I have based upon that information. Um, and in Haiti, I really feel like it keeps me sharp in that it makes me better, better at my physical exam because I rely on my physical exam and better at ultrasound because I rely on the ultrasound. And those two things alone um, help me both as a learner, but also as a teacher, because it is also the two things that the residents use um, and their skills are just really phenomenal. Over your career, how has pediatric ultrasound changed? What do you foresee changing in the next decade? I think pediatric point of care ultrasound is just starting. <laughs> um, that's not really fair because I think there are people who have trained over the last 10 years who have really, um, you know, started us off in this field. But I still think it's just the tip of the iceberg. I think that pediatric point of care ultrasound will become more widespread. I think in the past we've been limited by the number of people who are trained in pediatric emergency, specifically point of care ultrasound. But now there's a growing number of trainees, a growing number of training programs. Um, I think that there's increasing comfort among medical staff. Um, I think that eventually you know, this will be incorporated just like emergency medicine residency programs into all pediatric emergency medicine fellowships. And at that point, it will just continue to grow and grow. Um, I think there's still battles that, you know, we're going to face. I think that just like everything else, once there's a new field, you know, half the battle is once you learn it, the application is convincing everyone else, um, you know, to have faith in you and trust. And that takes time um, and good relationships with other subspecialty fields. And so when I do a lung ultrasound and don't chest x-ray and admit someone, you know, I have to gain the trust of the person I sign out to to make sure that they feel comfortable with my clinical assessment and my ultrasound skills. Um, and I think that 
That requires good relationships among subspecialties in every hospital where point-of-care ultrasound is used. I'm sure that this is an ongoing topic, and that is, you know, the inpatient hospital services, the radiologists, the emergency physicians, the critical care physicians. Um, you know, there's really not one subspecialty that I can think of that doesn't have the potential to benefit from point-of-care ultrasound. Um, and I think the emergency physicians are just, in pediatrics, are, you know, finding their place in that system and then um, helping everyone else understand how we can use it to benefit, you know, and optimize our patient care. I also think there are a lot of really exciting things on the horizon for for point-of-care ultrasound. Um, Number one, in the past point-of-care ultrasound has been a little prohibitive in terms of cost of the machines, but there are now handheld devices coming out that are getting less and less expensive. Um, there's some new handheld devices that are coming out that don't use piezoelectric crystals, which are in all of the ultrasound probes that you use in your institutions and your machines that make those probes $10,000. Um, there are going to be handheld devices coming out that are less than $2,000. And if those devices end up working well, it's going to make this so much more accessible to people in different hospital settings. Um, which is really exciting. Um, there's also some new technology coming out at different institutions looking at three-dimensional ultrasound, which ob- obviously would be very uh, exciting use for us um, in terms of things like fracture reductions and other things where three-dimensional spatial manipulation would be really important. Um, so just a, a lot out there. Like I said, I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. I feel like there's a lot of room to grow. I still, I will say it again and again, you know, part of being in a new field is that we need to support the field with data. And I think there's a lot of experts out there in pediatric emergency point of care ultrasound who are working to make that happen and working towards multi-center trials, working toward, um, you know, taking that data and using it, um, to, you know, support, our focus and and furthering of the field, focus on and furthering of the the field. Um, so a lot of really great people in the field, a lot of really enthusiastic people in the field, a lot of people really believe that we can make our patient care better and more efficient and more effective. Um, just so many ways that we can benefit from this, I think. We certainly have a lot to look forward to. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you so much for speaking with us today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course. I hope that um, people listening, um, whoever you are out there, if you uh, if you have interest in point of care ultrasound, always welcome to reach out to me. But I really do believe that it is one of the most useful skills in emergency medicine. And there's been some recent data that actually shows that when emergency physicians graduate from their programs, that it is one of the skills I think they still have an interest in and don't feel like their training was as much as they would have liked. And I think we are working towards making that better in every program across the country, both in pediatrics and in adult medicine, uh, emergency medicine. Um, and I, I encourage you to look for, you know, programs that really support point of care ultrasound in which you get great training. Um, I think it continues to um, grow and grow. Yeah.